Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you are morning people? You've been up since five to sing. My my wife's like that. She uh, she's been waiting for heaven for a long time. So she wakes up every morning and it's just kind of. I mean, I don't really see it very often, but uh, sometimes I don't sleep well, so I haven't gone to sleep yet. And she's just waking up, and she's like, "Bing!" She looks around first of all, and it's like, "Oh, I'm still here." Then she starts praying, and by the time I finally get to sleep, I mean, I'm, I'm the classic uh, spiritual slug, so when I wake up in the morning, I don't even believe in God, so it's, <laughs> it takes about a double espresso, and I'm an agnostic, and then around 11, I really start coming into faith, and <clears throat> meanwhile, she's been figuring out how to save the world for about 10 hours. <laughs> And, and and she can hardly wait till I wake up. And I wake up, and it's sort of like a half-conscious sort of coming into reality. And she's just looking at me. I, I spot her, and she goes, I've been thinking. And I go, no, not yet, not yet, please. Let me have a cup of coffee first. At any rate, um, this morning, it, the morning sessions are always a little more of a challenge to and particularly, it's kind of like singing in a bar. There's a few patrons over there and a couple back there. And is there any chance maybe we could just sort of come and fill in a little bit here? Because what we're going to do today, it'll be helpful if we feel a little more like a community and we're going to work at something together. While these people are obediently moving from that section over to here... Uh, <clears throat> How many of you were, were here last night? How much continuity do we have? Okay, so pretty much anyone who is here was here last night. All right. Um, let me just make a couple of comments about our time last night. You know, really, during this time we have together through, through Sunday... I, I realize for, for most of you, perhaps, or many of you, none of this is new. And, and we've been following Jesus and, and understanding that that means more than just learning a message. It means uh, emulating a master. It means trying to become who he is. It's trying to sort of sort out what would Jesus do if he lived the life that I live. If Jesus was your electrician or a nurse or a chiropractor what kind of chiropractor would he be? Uh, what kind of garbage collector would he be? What, you know, trash collector, sorry, I'm in the States. Uh, uh, you know, and we're, we're really wanting to orient and live our lives that way. But even though many of us have learned then at least to sort of pray for other people at church and, and, and we've, 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 you know, gained some experience of what we call the prophetic, we still feel largely it's pathetic. We, 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 we sort of feel that we're making a lot of this stuff up or that we don't really get it as well as some others do. And, and most of us have disqualified ourselves from what we feel is the real tear of the heavenly or the supernatural. Is, is that fair to say? Like everyone knows Adam's gifted, right? But many of us are content just to let him do his thing. And, and live a little bit vicariously out. It's not that we don't want to... 
I mean, we, we want to have the New Testament. We want our lives to sound like the New Testament, don't they? But how many people feel like you've really nailed it? Come on, Adam. No? I mean, most of the time we feel like we pretty much suck at being Jesus, don't we? In all aspects, character, love, service, but particularly works of power, seeing tastes of heaven come and touch the earth around us. Um, and, And yet, I'm absolutely convinced that the key to God putting this world right is not having a few more superstars and great conferences. It's actually having us realize that God wants to partner with us. And he is convinced he's going to keep working at this thing until we figure it out. We're always afraid of making mistakes and setting back redemption by a thousand years. I mean, there's all sorts of fear surrounding spiritual gifts. What if I get it wrong? We're going to get it wrong. Anybody ever have kids? Ever notice, there's an amazing thing about kids. They all want to help until they can. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and sometimes, particularly if you have a German background like me, you, you just don't want them to help because you know it's going to slow everything down. I, a dear friend of mine, an early leader in the vineyard who's passed away from cancer years ago, uh, we both have sons named, we both had sons named Jonathan. His little Jonathan, I mean, uh, this friend of mine, Brent, he lived in Lancaster, California, which is in the high desert. Uh, but they, it was hard to keep flowers alive, but they really liked to plant flowers in front of their house every spring. And little Jonathan wanted to help. Now, Brent, being the wise father that he was, said, I'd love to have you. And then he went out and bought twice as many flowers. And this was the shtick. Uh, Brent would dig a hole, give Jonathan a flower. Jonathan would destroy the flower. And then he'd dig another hole and let Jonathan destroy that flower while he quickly replaced the first mangled flower with a second one. And after twice as many flowers and twice as much time, they were finally done. And uh, Jonathan went running in to tell his mom, Mom, you know... uh, uh, I planted flowers and daddy helped. <laughs> That's kind of the way it is with spiritual gifts. Uh, you know, half the time, we're not getting it right. It's not, some, it's not like we're helping God out in some spectacular way. I mean, he probably could have got this thing done a lot quicker. I mean, he, he made the world in just six days. Look how long redemption has taken. It's really because he's had us help. But that's the whole point. This is a family business. And he's convinced this is the way he wants to get it done. Through incarnational invitation. That's you and I. Walking out into the world and being Jesus. Um, I, I, and yet still. Spiritual gifts. It, it, we're like... God hands us a bow and arrow. I guess down here he'd hand us a 350 Magnum or something. I don't know what it would be, but there we are. And, and there's the target. And we're terrified that if we just let go of the arrow, we're going to miss the target and kill Jesus or something, you know. 
There he is. And, he, and, and you know, it, it's like he's going, shoot the arrow. Just shoot the arrow. I'll catch it. Anyone ever played catch with their little kid? What's the game? Making them look good. Right? They throw the ball in some crazy tangential way, and we dive and catch it and go, you're amazing. Right? Welcome to spiritual gifts. God so wants us to be a part of the invitation he's bringing to the world. And he will continually invite us into that process. So my whole point is, and that's why we did it the way we did it last night. This isn't for the elite. This isn't some kind of special skill. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people that have certain people that have unique sensitivities to the spiritual world. They see things or they, they and there's other people that just have natural risk-taking personalities. But I'm just saying, folks, the answer is when, well, wasn't this the prayer of Moses? And num- was it number seven there? When, when, when Joshua is freaking out because there's a few other people have picked up this prophecy thing, and now he's afraid it's not going to be special. And Moses says, I don't think you get it. I mean, God's prayer is that everybody would be able to, to tie into this flow of God's generosity out into the world. This is when we're really firing in all cylinders. And so that's why we have to keep on revisiting this in fresh ways so that it's as simple as uh, I, this. And, and I'm intentionally trying to teach this way as if, as, this, uh, as if I was teaching to children. Because if a child can get it, then we're on to something, right? That makes sense? You're all nodding and thinking, Canadians. Jesus said, John 14, Anyone. That means anyone can do what I've been doing. And yet, for most of us, anytime we do something that's new or something that maybe we haven't really picked up in a long time or we've fallen into certain routines that are far less than what God expects of us or hopes for us, Often we, uh, anytime I try something new, because I, 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 I am pretty fearful of making mistakes. I don't really like risk all that much. Uh, I like the appearance of risk. I like it, you know, it looks like I'm sort of wild and crazy, but everything's calculated. That's why everything we'll do in this time together, I structure in such a way that I have zero control over. And that's what's so much fun. I mean, Last night could have been awful. This morning could be way worse. <laughs> I love that. Because then I know either God shows us that he can do this thing. Or, or even if it's terrible, that's okay too. At least we get it out of the way. And we go, well, it can only be better than this. You ever gone to a conference like that? Well, this pretty much sucked. So your life has to go better than this. You know, maybe we ought to try something like that. It would be a good educational experience. But generally, we want some handles, and that's what I'm trying to give you. So we, we call them in the business world organizational priorities, little things that enable you to know how to respond. Last night, the whole point was to get you to trust God's ability to speak to you, that it isn't your ability to hear, that it's his ability to speak.
That's why we made sure we picked the, the lowest odds possible. Today, we want to uh, try to focus on one more thing. In the business world, leadership world, we often talk about what's one thing you could do that would make an 80% difference. So I'm going to give you one of those things this morning. That if you focused on this one thing, and it's not a hard thing to remember. If you focused on the one thing of this morning, it would make at least an 80% difference in how you live your life the rest of the day and tomorrow and thereon. Right? So let's, let's take a look at it. And, and the key is not some special, some special prayer line where I'm going to import my significant anointing to you. I mean, after all, I mean, I, I'm amazing. I have traveled now for 30 years internationally around the world. I don't know how many nations speaking to literally dozens of people. And I'm willing, if you also buy my book for $14.99, uh, to impart... No, it's not that. We, we keep thinking that somehow, if we just get enough anointing, then we will do all these things. And what I'm saying is, there's nothing more you need than some helpful keys that will enable you to step off the diving board and trust Jesus to fill the pool with water while you're in the air. Welcome to spiritual gifts. Right? So probably a good place to start to look for that key would be in the words and practice of Jesus. What he said was his key. I mean, that's not a bad place to start, right? If it worked for Jesus, I have a sneaking suspicion it may work for us. So let's take a look. And we'll turn to John chapter 5. This little backstory, and of course, there are a whole series in the Gospels of interactions between Jesus and two different disparate groups. One are the people who are the outsiders, the marginalized. They're the ones that weren't really the performers. They're they're the ones who had soft hearts. Uh, But when Jesus spoke his message and he talked about the embracing uh, love of God that was available to anyone who needed it, they were like the donkey in Shrek saying, pick me, pick me. Like, uh, that's who I am. And then there was another group, and they were the ones who had already thought they had enhanced God's reputation considerably, that they had certainly earned God's favor in many ways. That's a little bit unkind and unfair. But it's people who tended towards the religious end of the spectrum, and that is they felt that there was some way in which uh, the the zeal and passion with which they pursued, pursued faith in the Torah and were the guardians of the traditions of the whole culture, that it, religious culture that had been handed to them by Yahweh, that they certainly would be the first ones to whom any Messiah would come. And they'd be the first ones that he would embrace. So what you always have is you have this interaction with Jesus and the hungry ones. But generally... Uh, Jesus would always seemingly do some things that would offend the very people you'd think he'd want to curry favor, and that were the religious leaders. And that's what's taking place here. Uh, One of the problems is what's just taken place is Jesus has healed somebody, but he's healed them on the wrong day. You see, Jesus did a lot of things really well, but everyone has their challenges, and Jesus pretty much sucked at time management. Like, he could never figure out what day it was. 
You'd think he would have assigned that to one of the disciples. You know, they're getting them ready, brushing them up and, and, and putting on his makeup and everything before he gets to the cameras. And they said, Jesus, listen, Saturday. It's Saturday. Remember, only chiropractors work on Saturday. Like, not healers. So no work, no work. He'd get in there, and as soon as he started talking, he forgot all about it. He'd see somebody with need. Bingo, he'd heal them. And therefore, the religious leaders would go, ah, what are we going to do to this guy? I think we're just going to have to kill him. So that's sort of the, the backdrop that we, f- we face. And in his defense against these accusations, Jesus says to them, well... Okay, why do I do this stuff? He came up with this brilliant thought. He said, well, actually, the only reason I do, the only reason I work Saturdays is because dad does. I mean, I'm I'm actually, he said, maybe I I ought to explain. You see, I I think I've said this before. Of course, he's going to say it numerous times through John. I mean, 5, 8, 11, uh, 12, 17. he, He keeps saying, you understand, this is how I do everything. I actually don't make stuff up. I don't make up good ideas for God and then present it to him and say, hey, would you think you could bless this? He said, I simply, moment by moment, in everything I do, whether I speak, whether I do, my intention is to always please my father. So I'm watching to see what he's doing. And I put my hand to it. He might have said, actually, that's a pretty good recommendation because... If you put your hand to God, what God's doing, you end up looking pretty good. You end up looking like God. That's why a lot of people kept saying to him after he spoke, that sounded like God. And Jesus would say, well, actually, he, he, he writes my sermons. So that's why they, 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 they actually come across pretty well. I know, understand our pastors say that as well, but this was really true. And that's why there was so much authorization in the things that he spoke and did because he simply joined the Father in his work. Now, that's a game changer. I mean, think about that for a moment. That paradigm shift, to use that expression, changes everything. Because... If we stop and think about it, most of us, we say we're theists. We actually act like deists. In other words, we say we talk a lot about the presence of God, but actually most of the time we presume his absence. And we work as though he weren't. It's almost as though God said, uh, it's like Gandalf saying, uh, I'll be back. In the meantime, take care of things and all hell breaks loose. And you're trying to go, ah, what would Gandalf do if he were here? And, and, and you go, I'm no wizard for crying out loud. And, and that's the way we often feel. Like, it feels like one of those, I mean, I grew up with the advent of television. And, and so we'd get these horrible old, no, I suppose they were iconic, John Wayne uh, black and white Western movies. Pretty, uh, I mean, once you've seen one, you know the plot forever. It's always going to end up, they're in some fort that's being burned down. Everything's almost going to end up in tragedy. And John Wayne's still sort of fixing his hair or whatever he's doing. And the heroine is going, oh, we're all going to die. And then just at that last moment, which is, by the way, what our Christian life feels like often. 
right, was we're trying to witness. Anyone ever tried to witness? Like, you can get constipated witnessing. You ever figure, I mean, I hate witnessing. You're, you're, you're sitting on a plane, and, and you're trying to think of some kind of segue. Whew, I'm sure glad we took off, because if this plane would have crashed, I would have gone to heaven. You'd probably gone to hell. <laughs> the guy goes, hi, my name's Bob. Like, like, what was that? Or you try to take some survey you're not taking, and... and and, and I constantly think, I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. Hello? Right? And all the time you're thinking, oh, God, I hope you'll be like that John Wayne Western movie. And just before my fort burns down, I'll hear, and here, click, click, here comes Monty Python with the co- coconuts coming up. No, that's a different movie. Sorry. It's, it's, hello? And... And basically, Jesus is saying, don't go there. Don't go there. That's a lot of work. Instead, change your whole way of seeing. When you walk out into your world, God isn't still cleaning up after church. He's already out there. He's working all around us. Our whole lives are a setup. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, you think you chose your job and where to live and you picked your friends and God was working in all of that and has placed you in an environment where it's a perfect setup for people around you to see a taste of heaven. And he's active. He's working under the surface of people. Now, they don't tell you that. They're all like, oh, I'm cool. Everything's great with me. I mean, my life's going to hell in a handbasket, but, I mean, you know, uh, they're just going to follow the ritual. How are you? I'm good. You know? But underneath that, God is at work. And if you are simply the same person everywhere, figuring out how to be Jesus, it is the most unbelievably attractive thing. But the problem is we don't usually see that at all. We're presuming that we're working for God and we come across this stilted, awkward, and, and it's like God shouting down saying, lighten up. Like, be yourself. Be good advertising for me. I mean, that's horrible, right? Just love people and watch for what I'm doing. This is what Jesus did. Now, I'm not saying that's easy because, you see, when I first started seeing this, I realized I don't know how to see anything. Like, I, I, well, I have never even tried to look. I've been more neurotic, worried about myself and how I'm going to do and whether God's going to show up and back my act. I never, ever thought about looking for a completely different reality. But if we do, I'll tell you, change your life. And you'll begin to walk into adventures you never dreamed possible. But you have to be patient because it's like any time you try to see something new, it's not that easy to do. I, let's, let, this is, all of you know this, but let's jump to the last slide just for a minute. Remember this, if you ever took Psych 100 or, um, the last slide, can you do that? No, 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 no. Oh, you can't just go straight to the last one? 
There we go. You remember this? There were a whole lot of these pictures floating around at the beginning of the 1900s. There was Wittgenstein's, uh, you know, duck and rabbit. And, and, and people thought this. I mean, it is a fascinating kind of picture. This is the classic. The elderly woman, or they, they used to call, and it's probably not politically correct, but it used to be the, the young woman and the old hag, right? How it was, what it was titled back in those days. Now, do you see her? Of course, anyone not seen this before? Okay, a few people in the room. All right. um, now, what's interesting is that there's two pictures here. Now, those who have never seen it before, what do you see? Well, who are the people down here? What do you, now, you're afraid you're going to get it wrong, I know, but... I'm sorry? You see an old lady. You see the young woman. So which one of you is on drugs? I mean... There, do you see, how many people see both? Okay, how many people see both easily? You can switch back and forth. Okay, that means you've seen it a fair number of times. But usually when you look at it, you see either the one larger face with the woman and her chin buried down, looking down, or you see the younger woman and her chin line and, and a band around her neck, and she's looking away from you, right? But when you first see it, there's one you predominantly see, and what you'll find is it's hard to switch, reorganize the data, and see the other. It's, it's easier to see the one, and it's harder to see the other. Now, there's I've been all sorts of psych, psychological analysis as to why... Uh, do do more men see the younger woman, or uh, you know, they're trying to figure out how is it that you see what you see? My only point is this: is once we have an established paradigm, it's it's awkward for us to kind of switch the data and and see a different reality. But both realities are there; both women are in that picture. So we can either see where God isn't or where we can see or we can see where God is. And there's a certain amount of discipline and training to learn to look for the other. I mean, I, sometimes I, people don't wear watches anymore, but um, I, I would get someone who had a, a watch with lots of things on the watch face. And I'd say, give your watch to your neighbor. And then I have the neighbor ask them questions about their watch that they look at every day. And you know what? They don't have the slightest clue what's on their watch. You'd say, are there numbers? How many numbers? What, 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 what's written on the face of your watch? And, and they're going, uh, I don't know. You go, how can you look at that watch over and over again and never see it? Well, they go, because I'm not looking for it. I'm just looking to see what time it is. I say, thank you. And everybody laughs, hand it back. And then I say to the neighbor, oh, by the way, what time was it? And they don't know. Because they were looking for all the other stuff. You, you see what I'm saying? This is how it works. It isn't some special anointing. It's learning where to focus our eyes. God is present and he's active and he's at work. And what enables us to begin to see uh, how it is that, uh, that he sees is just like I did with some of you with this picture. I said, for instance, if you want to see the younger woman, there's a, a curving chin line. She's looking away, and there's a band around her neck, and that sort of zones you in on what to look for, 
And so how do we zone in on what to look for and get an idea of how it is that God sees, how it is that God responds and interacts with humanity so we know where to position ourselves and so we can look the way that he looks. Well, I'll just give you a couple of, uh, I don't want the teaching to be too long this morning. I'll give you just a couple of examples. One Old Testament, one new. I mean, many people complain about the violent, angry God of the Old Testament, and that's a a topic for another day. But one, I, I always see God through Jesus because he's the perfect representation of the Father. Therefore, I, I read the Old Testament through Jesus. But even apart from that, I have a wonderful text in Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't exactly a well-integrated individual. I mean, he was pretty much a, a nervous wreck. And, uh, but God did powerfully speak to him. And I love the passage in Jeremiah, I think it's 29. Is it 29? Yeah, 11. Uh, this is a definitive statement. Now, this isn't exactly written at a high watermark of Israel's history, like they're doing super well. Uh, he's pronouncing at the same time judgment, but in a larger sense around the judgment that they brought on themselves by separating themselves from the, uh, the uh, trusting in God. He says, look, this is my posture toward you. I've got plans for you. It's not the plans I thought God had for me when I was younger. I thought he, would, he was running after me. I was running like hell thinking he might catch me. And I just thought he was just going to beat the tar out of me. I thought he was like many people think is, is God, the God of the Old Testament, just an angry God that set up a plan he couldn't sort of pull off, and now he's going to blame everybody else for it. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and so here's what he says. I have plans for you. Oh, it's not to harm you. I've got a hope for you. I've got a future for you. I want you to prosper. I mean, look at what a powerful statement of invitation this is. And this is what is so powerfully presented through the life of Jesus and on into the New Testament. Uh, Let me refer to a New Testament text, Hebrews 10, because it's one of my favorites. It's it's talking about, Hebrews 10, the the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. And it it says in, what what verse is it? Uh, Verse 14. Referring to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hold it. What he's saying is, right now, your life is pretty much a train wreck. He looks at it and says, perfect. Is God on drugs? Like, what is this? Well, think about it for a second. What God is saying is this. You say yes to my yes. You hang out with me. I don't care how screwed up you are. At the end of the day, you're going to look like me. You know, you just hang in there. And God sees us through what we're going to be. And instead of seeing us through who we used to be, He sees us through what we're becoming. And so instead of all of his words and thoughts towards us being ones of condemnation, ah, you're probably going to end up just like you started. He sees us through eyes of invitation. 
You understand that about the heart of God, and I tell you, you're ready to be Jesus in the world. I used to be a, a high school teacher and counselor. I mostly counseled, but I, I taught an elite physical education class. And only the best athletes could get into it. You had to apply to get into it. And we did all the sports I liked. I, I loved that class. It was great. And except and it was an elective class, uh, a semester system, and it was only seniors in high school. And except that it, we had, during this sign-up, and I, all these great athletes are signing, it was co-educational. I'm just thinking, this is going to be a dream class, man. I'm just going to, I got to drink coffee in the sidelines most of the time, and they're going to go and kill each other. It's going to be great. And, and then this girl walked up who was one of those people that all of us went to school with. And that is, she was really insecure and constantly whining. It was like, oh, I'm not going to do well. I'm going to fail. I was horrible. It was awful. And then they get results back. Oh, I got the highest mark. And you just want to kill them. Don't you? I mean, it's like, <laughs> like, just shut up, would you? But they, they're just over, and they ruin it for everybody. Else. They get an A. Do you have a, do you have a letter grade system? Down? They get an A. They get honors. But they make everyone's life miserable, and everybody else feel like a schmuck, Right? So I looked at her and I just thought, I don't want her in my class. So she went to sign up and I pulled the sheet away from her. I said, you can't take it. She said, what do you mean? It's not full. I said, no, it's not full. She said, well, but I qualify. I said, no, you're overqualified. She said, you can't do that. I said, I just did. But I'm thinking, I can't do that. (laughs) So then... This was like a little prophetic uh, foreshadowing that I was going to be a a preacher. I said, well, uh, let, okay, you can take the class, but you can only take it on two conditions. Now, you're thinking when someone, Adam gets up and he said, let me tell you two things about this. You're thinking he knows two things. He doesn't know what he's... He's going to make up two things. He's confident he can make up two things about anything. But in that moment, you just go, it sounds good to say, instead of saying, I don't know why I did what I did. Maybe I'm just paranoid. You you just come across as being authoritative. Well, there's two reasons or two conditions. And then I had to think, what are my two conditions? And And then I said the first one, and I thought, what did I just say? I said, you could only take this class if you allow me to give you an A now. She said, what? I said, well, I'm going to give you an A now. You can't lose your A. All you have to do is come and not whine. I just want to take all the pressure off you. You've already got your A. Now shut up. (laughs) Right? Enjoy the class. And then my second condition came quickly, as, and don't tell anybody. So she looked at me. She said, okay, signed her name, walked off confused. And I reminded her every week, you got an A. You got an A. She was amazing. She just loved the class. All the, all the pressure was off. You know, it's amazing. In Christianity, we think we want to put people on a high wire that have never been on one before with no net. So they'll try harder. 
No, they won't. They'll just freeze up with terror. And, you know, I love the safety net. By one sacrifice, you'd be made perfect while you're being made holy. I don't care how many times you fall down. Try again. You're going to become like me. Remember, you used to, you know, I mean, that was not a whole thing. Your, your mom was always worried about who your friends were because she was afraid you're going to be like them. You know, if you hang out with Jesus, he's not going to become like you. So it really, this is the gospel. We're, we're getting ready. You know, those sprinters, they get down, they're kicking their leg out and all that stuff. I mean, I'm super slow, so I, I never, never really ran track. But you're down there and you're nervous because in this race, everyone who doesn't win, you know, goes to hell. That's the stereotypical end. So there's a little bit of, you know, anxiety. And, and just before the gun comes, the, the starter walks by and hangs a gold medal around your neck and says, congratulations, you've won. Have a good race. Hello? This is the gospel. This is how God sees us. This is the great invitation of God. I'm not saying sin doesn't matter. Sin is destructive. But invitation, uh, the power of love is always more powerful than judgment. Is it not? That's why mercy triumphs over judgment in James 2. So if we're going to see the way God sees, what we need to be able to do is reorganize the reality we think we see. And then instead of seeing all of the things that need to be condemned, all the places where God isn't, all of the things that are wrong, we need to learn how to see the presence of God, the invitation of God, what God is already beginning to bring forward, what he's doing. Now we have one problem. Everything in our life has trained us to see the opposite. We've been brought up in an age of critical analysis, which has been really helpful for building things like airplanes that I spent half my life in and solving certain mathematical problems and making things work better, uh, you know, practical, tangible things. But one of the problems has been, and they're seeing this in the leadership world, that's why there's this whole new field and perspective called appreciative inquiry, which is fantastic. But what they're realizing is we've just, all we can see is the negative. That's part of why we're so depressed. You know, we just see what isn't. And it's kind of overwhelming. Everything is a world out there that needs to be fixed. And, and that's our, 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 quote, fixation. So we like the Laodicean church in Revelation 3. We need, our, our, one of our primary prayers ought to be, oh God, give me salve for my eyes. Because if I'm going to figure out how to be Jesus in the world, I'm going to have to figure out to see how to see what Jesus saw. But my eyes need to be fixed because I automatically see that which is, isn't. And I don't see the invitation of God and the presence of God and the activity of God. So, Lord, heal my eyes. Help me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, you know, in that passage in verse 16, 17, where he talks about, and he's talking to the Corinthian church. Now, I tell you what, they're a pretty motley crew, you know. A pretty notorious bunch, the Corinthian guys. And, And yet, what does he say to them? This is who you are. 
you're in Christ, you are new creations. The old is gone. Now, a lot of people go, hold it. I don't think it's much gone. I mean, sleeping with your mother and getting drunk at communion doesn't seem like all gone to me, right? But he's saying, no, this is the future. It's all new. And what does he say, prefacing those remarks? He went, hey, I made this mistake before with Jesus. I looked at him from a worldly point of view, and I'm not making that mistake again. I'm going to look around everything in my world around me, and I'm going to see it from the perspective of God's amazing, powerful invitation. Anyone united with the Messiah in the message, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, gets, get a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Boy, that's a good word, burgeons. Do you, do you, do you use that a lot? Do you walk around saying, hey, you're really burgeoning today? Yeah. Okay, you probably read this scripture in the message. Now, that's what I want to encourage you in this morning. Let's learn to see in a new way. Now, problem is, of course, and I referred to this last night, as soon as I use the word learn, we are people that are steeped in the tradition of classical Greek philosophy. So for us, learn means theory practice. You learn the information, and then you put it into practice, except that most of the time we don't put it into practice. And yet when Jesus talked about learning, his process of learning, the whole rabbinical method, was something we call praxis. So they learned to partner with Jesus and partner with his Father by partnering with Jesus and partnering with the Father. And in that process of doing, of risking, then there was correction, information, just in time, need to know, which is the way that the best kind of learning ever takes place. And so if we're going to learn to have that, if we're going to cooperate with the sovereign salve that God will put in our eyes, and I think he will because he loves to answer these prayers, then it will mean on our part intentionality, a discipline, to step out and not only try to see the way that Jesus sees, to see his activity in the world, what the Father is doing, but also to put our hand to it, to step toward it. And it means taking risks. The wonderful thing is, is if you pray, God will help you. Now, I'm told some of you this, I'm pretty much an introvert. I mean, all people that go up in stages seem like they just love to be your best friend. But the reason they like the stage is you're there, I'm here, and I'm in control, right? And I will smile, and then once this is over, I'm going to go be by myself, you know? I know some of you think it's a sickness. My wife's been trying to cure me of introversion my whole life, and pretty much has given up by now. But, I mean, thankfully, I've learned a lot of wonderful things and learned to be that people aren't enemies. And, I mean, I actually, I do like you, and I love and engage, I love engagement with people. But it takes so much energy for me. I'm exhausted at the end of it. And I recharge by being alone, right? One place I love to be alone is in crowds. 
There are certain places where it's safe because no one is going to... You go to certain places, you go to a coffee shop, well, except if you're in a small town and everybody knows you, but in the city, people pretty much leave you alone. You put your computer up there. It doesn't really matter what you do. You just have a lone space in the middle of lots of people, right? One place like that for me is an airplane. If you fly a lot... And with one airline alone, I'm just next flight, I'm going to have my one millionth status mile. That's not all my miles. That's just status miles with one airline. So I've sat on an airplane seat a lot of my life. And you learn the drill, right? You, you sit down, you pray for the first while that no one's going to sit in the seat next to you. But airlines are getting worse, and they're packing them like crazy. And so you hope it's not like the Far Side cartoon where that 700-pound person with the one eye in the middle of the forehead is going to come, and yours is the only seat left over. You know, you know that that's always terrifying. Or somebody who's going to be super talkative, or and doesn't know the drill because the drill works this way. You know, they come, they sit down, you say, "Hey, hi," and. Uh, and then you, they might, ex, you know, exchange a few pleasantries, uh, like one or two. But what you always do is you pick up a magazine or book and look like you're pretty much engaged. So they feel like they're interrupting. And, and, and then what, you, what they do is, is um, then, then the plane gets ready to taxi. And, you know, now that conversation is over. So you watch a movie, read a book, whatever else. And then when the plane lands, you say, hey, have a great business trip or whatever. Now, there's, there's some extroverts that find each other in seats, and they talk the whole time. But, you know, I put in some earbuds, and, and, and you can eliminate them. And <laughs> my wife understands that, that we travel a lot together. She understands she's traveling alone. Right? Uh, anybody understand me? All right, all right. It's, it's always about half the crowd. And the other crowd is trying to, the other half is trying to figure out how to cast this out, right? <laughs> Here I am on an, on an airplane, and uh, amazingly, it's getting hard to do these days, but I was bumped up to business class. It wasn't the pods, that which are great, but, uh, but it's big seats, and I'm going, great, and there's no one beside me. And I'm just casually sitting there, and I, I worked really hard being with lots of people, so I'm just really, I know this is God's gift to me. And I'm watching, you're watching the door. You know, when the door closes, we're good to go. And then immediately you put a bunch of stuff in the other seat. And so the door's not closing. And it's time for the door to close. They're just about to close the door. And the, 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 the attendant, phone, get the phone. Oh, opens the door. I'm going, oh, shoot. I'm looking around. Mine's the only open seat. Sure enough, this middle-aged woman comes rushing in, you know, Obviously, sucks at time management. Got way too many carry-ons. Of course, the things are already full. I mean, but I, I'm a Christian. So I say, oh, like, let me try to help you find some room. I mean, obviously, there's far too much of this. And uh, it would have been a lot easier if you would have come earlier. But uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll find somewhere. And, I, you know, and then we sit down. And, and, and then she, yeah, 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 yeah. she's just like chat, chatty Kathy, right? And I, I mean, I, I, you, you know, some people, you look at them within 15 seconds, you know exactly who they are. And now I'm going, okay, I've got strategies to deal with this. So. Now, part, part of my paranoia 
is because of what I do. Now, I live in Canada. I, I, like you guys, it's, it's the American flag and God. Uh, like, I mean, they, you know, I mean, you're, you're this wonderful, uh, so many people go to church. And, and it's, it's changing now, I realize that. But, but in Canada, uh, if, if you let people know you're a Christian or even worse, a pastor... I mean, they just make a sign of a cross and dive under the seat and ask to change. And like, it's just, it doesn't end well, you know? So, and what's the first thing that people ask you on a plane after where are you going? They ask you, what do you do? I know this is coming, you know? And I just don't have, frankly, the energy to deal with it. And so I I had that sort of, you know, sign hanging up going, the man of God is out. And... And so she sits down, she's talking, and I'm reading my magazine, ignoring her. And, and so she just, and I throw her a little one-word response. It's all calculated to know you're under-responding, which is a message. Some people get those messages. Some people, it's like, you know. So, so she goes, uh, like, where are you going? Uh, Vancouver. Uh, I'm, I'm just across the country. So we're talking about five-and-a-half-hour flight or something, and uh, then she goes, what do you do? So I, I didn't really lie. I said, uh, I train people. I'm a trainer. She said, so am I. I train people in the pharmaceutical industry. What do you train people in? <laughs> um, I put down my book. Uh, it's it's kind of like Spirituality. What kind of spirituality? <sighs> Spiritual sort of spirit, you know. <laughs> she looks at me, she goes, are you a minister? I said, yes. <laughs> it was just bizarre. She just recoiled. And she said, oh, no. I'm like, how could you do that? She said, I don't believe God exists. But if he did, I'd hate him. I, I want to go, hi, my name's Gary. <laughs> How did we get here? I was just reading my book. And, 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 but you know what? I was just tired, and I just didn't have time for this. And I, and I, it was a little, I don't know why I did that. I just put my head on her shoulder and said, you poor dear. I said, I get it. And, and then this, 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 this. I, I was there too. I, I'm not even going to try to explain to you. All I'm telling you is I, I thought the same way about God and then he caught me and I've changed my whole position. So actually, I, I, he's a good guy to me. I mean, I go back to my book. I thought that was it. She goes, what do you mean? I put my book down. <laughs> so I just, I'm trying not to be in this conversation, you know. <laughs> Now, I mean, part of what happened when she first sat down was I'm reading my book, and I go, okay. So I only got one seat. That's okay. It's a big seat. And, and I just had this thought come into my mind, and I was pretty sure it was God because it wasn't me. It was, I'd like to have a conversation this, with this woman. So I literally said, go ahead. Like, don't mind me. <laughs> and, and he said, 
Well, I, I'd kind of like to get you involved. I said, oh, okay, but I'm not going to witness. Like, you know, if you want to do it, then you do it, and then I'll, I'll try to, I'll try. But I don't really want to. You can see I'm just one of these real faith guys, always looking for every opportunity, you know. There is a reason why I say if this can work for me, it can work for anybody, right? So, um, so she starts asking, and I, so I just told, I thought I got nothing to lose. So I, I just told her what had happened to me and, and, and the, who I figured out God was and, and what I've seen him do in the world and stuff that I've seen him do and, and, and just how much he's a God of love and invitation. I, and I, I just told her, I talked to her like I would talk to you. And, and she's, she's, she's going, you saw that, that happened. I said, look, I, I'm not lying to you. It happened. And, and I keep going back to my book. And then she'd go, ask me another question. I'd go, and at one point, I don't know how long this went on, probably an hour. And then suddenly, I saw her. I hadn't seen her up until then. I saw the old hag. And suddenly, I saw this person and how much God had been pursuing her all her life. And I said, you know, look, what I'm trying to tell you, and I I told her some things about herself, things that God loved about her, that he had specially put in her, ways he'd pursued her. And then I suddenly realized that I'd gotten carried away, just focused on her, and I realized that I didn't really know those things. And she realized I didn't know those things, and she looked at me and said, are you psychic? I said, no, no, I'm not psychic at all. I said, actually, I'm pretty pathetic about any of this stuff. I, but I, I'm telling you, if, if what I said sort of accidentally is true, you got a problem. you got a big problem. Because I couldn't know this, and trust me, I have no special gifts. So what you're experiencing is God is inviting you and giving you a different picture of who he is. Then she was really interested. So we talk some more, and then finally she goes, she's looking straight ahead, and she says, look, don't stop talking. This is really interesting to me, but I've got a chronic neck condition. And just from turning, I'm so, I mean, I'm just racked with pain right now. My whole left arm has gone numb. But don't stop. I'm just going to look straight ahead. And I'm thinking, oh, man. <laughs> so let me tell you something else. It's kind of what Jesus did, but it's kind of how... He lets people know how he feels. He, he cares about that. So I said, could I just pray a little prayer for your neck? She goes, what do you mean? What would you do? Uh, first, I think you're just going to go into the washroom and wave smoke around or something. <laughs> but that could get us all in trouble. And, 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 and I said, look, I, all I'll do is I'll put my hand on your neck. I, I mean, I'll be careful so it doesn't look like we're making out or anything. I, I, I said, and I'm just going to pray like a little 30-second prayer. And I won't pray it loud, 
so other people won't really notice. And I said, look, I'm not saying it's going to work. Uh, I pray for lots of people, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, in fact, there's some risk. I've prayed for some people, and they've gotten worse. Uh, well, that's the truth. I mean, you might as well tell them the truth. There's no sense making something up. And, and I said, but you know what? I prayed for a lot of people and watched them be completely well. It's a pretty good risk. Best chance is nothing will happen, or you may get another taste of who God is. She says, all right, give it a shot. So I prayed. That's it. Ready to go back to my book? I mean, it was a good book. (laughs) She goes, no. (laughs) No. Looks at me and goes, how'd you do this? telling you I don't do this like I'm just a schmuck like this is God this is his invitation to you man did we talk then amazing I, I, I managed to have I had a Don, Donald Miller book you know the blue like jazz and I said look read this this will give you another little window uh, I eventually lost contact. We, we lived completely different parts of the country, lost contact with her, but had contact for a while. And um, um, she, what she told me was her and her friends had not only all read this book, they were praying for sick people in Jesus' name. Uh, like, and she was said, my neck's still completely fine. I don't know if she was a, quote, Christian yet, but... but Tell you what, she was on a slippery slope. She just loved who God was, didn't know that much yet. But you know what? I'm pretty confident that God would be able to finish what he started. Isn't that a wonderful story? You know what makes it such a wonderful story is what a schmuck I am. I didn't see her. And I realize how much of my life I don't see anybody. I just put them in their slots, and I get my life done. But I've really worked, particularly since that day, of seeing who's around me. And I try almost every time, if I go into a restaurant or something, I, I, I will look, and particularly, I mean, I, I don't know what's like down here, uh, but, you know, all the sort of cool restaurants, they all dress their waitresses up as hookers. and I mean, I mean they do. I mean, it's... It's, I would be, I feel embarrassed for them because nobody wants to look in their eyes. You know, so I'll look in their eyes and and you know what? I don't worry about being supernatural. Toss that stuff away. It's not biblical. Throw any idea of natural, supernatural, toss it away. You have no idea what's natural, what's supernatural. It's an unhealthy, unbiblical dualism. The Holy Spirit is in you. I dare you to try to think a thought by yourself. I mean, he's always at work in you and working with you. So forget about it. You just get paranoid. Just, just go out and be Jesus. Look at people and love them and simply ask this question. Jesus, what's your invitation to this person? God, what do you love about this person? And so I'll look in their eyes and I'll, I'll just affirm them. I may say something about, 
I don't care whether I know it or whether I don't, because I'm actually not thinking about it. It doesn't matter to me. So I think of one recently where I, I just said, you know, there, there's such a grace about you. There's, uh, I, I said, um, are, are you, are, are you, are, are you doing this full time, part time? Because I, I just like you're, you're going to university, aren't you? And I said, there, there's, there's, there's some. Uh, there's just real depth in your eyes. I, it's a phenomenal thing. It, it just sort of stirs me. And, and she goes, yes, I'm going to university. So and I just said, you know, I, I think, and I, I, I just told her the field that she was going to be studying and just what a gift she was going to be to the world in that area. And she said, great, thank you, and walked away. I'm sure later on she thought, oh, I didn't tell him what I was studying. Now, I didn't say, oh, by the way, I'm a pastor, uh, and this is how you pray the sinner's prayer. I, all I know is something touched her heart, and later on, in some way, she's going to run around a Christian. She's going to run around lots of Christians. She's going to feel that same stirring. Sooner or later, she's going to say to somebody, grab them, going, what is this? It's Jesus. How do I get in? Do you understand? I mean, it's, I don't, now there's other times where I've shared, I've prayed with people, like, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not trying, nobody's a project. I'm not trying to get something done. I'm just trying to see people the way God sees them, because I know when someone is seen by God, something very deep in their heart is touched. And if the whole church becomes like this, you won't be able to beat people out with a stick. Make sense? So, when we see what God sees, I said this last night, something happens to our hearts. And our attention is taken off of ourselves and onto the person that God loves. And something happens when we join God in his work. That's why my prayer is the prayer of Moses. Oh, would to God. Everyone was prophetic. I just don't use the word because usually when you use the word, people print up T-shirts and get weird. Like, you know, just leave that stuff. I mean, it's easy to prophesy sins and all that. I I guess there's a place for that. Make that like post-grad prophetic work. Like, just, in fact, I think it's probably better if we don't even use the word because in so many ways it's maligned. But if you hold on to this, God, can I see what you see? Can I see through your eyes of invitation today, now? It will transform your life. 